You're listening to Talking Smart. The official podcast of the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers. This is Paul Pimentel, and I'm joined today by Michael Blaine from Smart Communications, who is also producing this episode. Welcome to the 24th episode of Talking Smart. Each month, we bring you news, guests, and discussions of interest to smart members and working families across the United States and Canada. This episode, we're talking about the Belonging and Excellence for All project, also known as B4All. As a joint effort of SMART, Union Signatory Contractors in SMACNA, and the International Training Institute, this effort is tasked with working to ensure that all members, particularly those from historically underrepresented groups, feel welcome and experience all the opportunities that come with being a union member. In short, B4ALL is a bold, long-term effort to transform the unionized sheet metal industry by creating workplace and business environments that are welcoming and foster belonging for all workers and contractors. We have a special guest host this episode, Dushaw Hockett, founder and executive director of Safe Places for the Advancement of Community and Equity, or SPACES, a Washington, D.C.-based organization that is working with SMART and SMACNA to move forward with the B4ALL project. At the SMART Leadership Conference in San Francisco in August, Hockett sat down with SMART General President Joseph Sellers, SMACNA CEO Aaron Hilger, and SMACNA past president Angie Simon to discuss how both organizations are working together to build a thriving industry where everyone is treated with dignity and respect, everyone feels welcome, and sheet metal workers and contractors work together to achieve the highest standards of excellence in their skills and crafts. During the discussion, GP Sellers underscored how SMART has a proud history of member-to-member training and mentorship, noting that a union apprenticeship is also a mentorship in the trade under the guide of experienced journey persons. And at SMART, that culture of mentorship needs to be inclusive and welcoming to all who want to be the best they can be in our trade. I think it's really respect and dignity for all, right? Be for all. It's uh, understanding and walking maybe in other people's shoes. That on-the-job training has been our history for a century, and that's how we've trained people. But we need to keep that same path for women, people of color, underrepresented communities, and making sure that our workforce is the best of the best. As a woman in the sheet metal industry, SMACNA past president Angie Simon has been a visionary, a proud supporter of women in the workplace, and a champion of many programs aimed at creating opportunities for women to succeed in many sectors of the business. She was both the first female president of her longtime employer, Western Allied Mechanical, and the first female national president of SMACNA. Throughout our podcast discussion, she emphasized both the need for change in the overall culture of the sheet metal industry and her hope for a more diverse and welcoming industry in coming years. For me, particularly as a woman in the industry, I look at this and feel like it means inclusion, belonging. And that's really important. It really needs to become our culture. Just like safety is our culture, it needs to become our culture. We need to be fair to each other, respect each other, and belong. And for me as a woman in the industry, it just excites me because I can see that we can make some changes. Aaron Hilger assumed the role of SMACNA's chief executive officer in January 2022 after a long career leading the Builders Exchange of Rochester, New York, as its president and CEO. At Builders Exchange, he managed 13 local and statewide trade associations, while also serving as a trustee on several building trade funds and helping to found Building a Better Rochester and Rochester Careers of Construction. 
He says embracing diversity and inclusion is not just a matter of good business sense in the sheet metal trade, it's a matter of survival in a highly competitive industry where finding qualified workers is an ongoing challenge. I believe it's already happening. Our industry is becoming more diverse. There are more women in the industry. There are more minorities in the industry. And the union and the contractors association and the group of contractors that embraces that trend, that welcomes that trend, that says we want you on our job sites with open arms, will become aware of the things that we may need to do better and really do them better and succeed, will be the group that wins the war of workforce development, that will keep and retain our people. Welcome to this special podcast focused on the Belonging and Excellence for All initiative, also known as Be For All. My name is Desha Hockett. I'm part of the Be For All staff team, and we are here in sunny downtown San Francisco for SMART's 2022 Annual Leadership Conference. And I'm joined by Aaron Hilger, CEO of SMACNA, also joined by Angela, AKA Angie Simon, <laughs> who's the immediate past president of SMACNA. Thank you. And last but never ever least, joined by Joseph Sellers Jr., general president of SMART. And we're here to talk about B for All. And friends, before we get started, uh, just want to set the stage uh, for this conversation. Again, we're here for SMART's 2022 annual leadership conference I suspect there are people listening wondering, what is an annual leadership conference? So Joe, wonder if you can kick us off and just say a little bit about that. Who is here and why are they here? Thank you, Deshaw. Great to be here. Angie, Aaron, good to be here in, in this podcast. But this is the leadership, the first time we're calling it our annual leadership conference. For many, many years, we've had a, a business agents conference which gave us uh, plenary speeches, people from the area, leadership from the area, politicians from the area. Then we merged with transportation. And this year's the first time we've come together and we're gonna have a unified plenary session and uh, education classes. So this is where we bring uh, all of our leaders across North America, United States and Canada. We now have transportation division with us and we're gonna learn together, we're gonna lean on each other and we're gonna use the mentoring program of the people in the room and really the the experience that's in the room and share that across both countries. So that's what we're here for. We've been doing it for many years and this is taking a, a, new, a new look and bringing us together even closer. And I noticed your emphasis on, on the word unified and bringing us closer as we walk throughout the hotel, the, the word unity is over, is on all the signs throughout the area. And I suspect there are people who are listening to this podcast and they're wondering, well, what's the Contractors Association doing at SMART's annual leadership yeah. conference. And curious, Angie, Aaron, why are you here? Because we're a team. Yeah. We need each other as much as uh, individually. We are here because this is our industry together. I've always said that we want to be a team and anytime we can work with our SMART partners on anything and our initiative, a B for All initiative, it's really, really exciting to me that we can work with them together because we can't solve these issues that we have or educate and grow into a better group without each other. Mm -hmm. And I'll add to that, you know, that labor and management exist together. You know, you can't have one without the other. You can't have a collective bargaining agreement. You can't have a set of rules and how we interact without having both parties in place. 
And even though that puts us from a structural perspective often on different sides, we're really not on different sides. We're on the same team. 90% of the things uh, that we have to deal with on a day-to-day basis, maybe even 95% of the things we absolutely agree with. There's that other 5 to 10% out there. Some of those are perspectives uh, coming at things from a different direction. Those things ought not to get in the way of us working together. And so I'm here to support our partner because I get really excited when we're here together, you know, planning things, working on ideas, moving the industry forward because we're here to build the best workforce we can and the best contractors. And I'm excited that they picked my wonderful hometown area (laughs) to have this conference. So the interesting thing is... For as long as I've been coming to these conferences, SmackDown and the SmackDown representatives have been coming to these conferences, mm-hmm. and I get invited to theirs. So, and it's not just to come in and give an hour speech. It's really to come in, sit in the sessions, sit in the breakout rooms. We both do yep. that together. What's on our minds? What What are people working on? What are the breakout sessions, and what do they mean? And we get a better understanding of what each Smart and SmackDown are doing, um, so that you know, kind of continues to build on as the year goes along. Yeah. It makes me think the uh, the other day I was looking at an old uh, organized labor movie. And you know, how in, in these old movies, labor and management, they're at each other's throats. And uh, something feels different uh, being around this table. So what's, uh, what's, what's different about the relationship between labor and management and the sheet metal industry, at least at the, at the national level? What's the, what's, the, what's the secret to this relationship? Well, I think that we know that we have a lot of common challenges in front of us. Workforce development, we need more people in our industry, whether it's in our offices or in our trades. But with as many people that are retiring in our trades in the next five to 10 years, we know we need more people and we have to solve that together. That's not gonna get solved by the contractor by themselves or by by SMART by themselves. And I think um, that's one of the reasons that we need to work together and building that relationship is important. And I come from the Smack the Chapter. So I ran two chapters before this along with a bunch of other associations, one of which was Smack to Rochester, the other was Smack to New York State. Um, I also had the great privilege to work with uh, most of the basic trades and a a few other trades uh, in my work. From a pragmatic level, the chapter executive and the business agent aren't that different. We're both running a membership organization. We both are responsible and have obligations to our constituencies. And we can be more successful at meeting those obligations and actually you know, helping our contractors and our members get more work and more work hours if we partner and work together. And you know, hopefully we develop short memories because sometimes we disagree about things. Hopefully we have the ability to go get a beer after our disagreement. But the fact is, is that we're really good at or should be really good at working through our issues for the betterment of our industry. And I think that's the difference. There's a commitment, at least in the areas that I came from, to really move beyond what the sort of labor management construct was historically been of a combative relationship fighting over scarce resources to create a relationship of abundance to create more resources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know uh, the the belonging and excellence for all initiative that's been a vehicle for for how we sort of bring the industry together and a lot of people are asking the question well what is b for all it sounds fancy uh we're using all these these great words but at the end of the day what is it exactly and so i want to invite all of you to weigh in on that question what does b for all mean to you and why is it important why don't we start off with you joe yeah so i think it's really respect and dignity for all, right? Be for all. It's uh, understanding and walking maybe in other people's shoes, uh, 
we enter a workplace, we enter a job site, and there's a whole bunch of people usually on that job, and they need to feel welcome. They need to understand, and the people on that job need to understand that we have a job to do, and we need to go on that job and work together and collaborate together and, and have good teams that really do work. We're in a competitive business. Contractors and union members, it's competitive. So we need to make sure that we're firing on all signals and making sure that we're working together. It's an industry that, this is like our strategic plan, I think. This is our strategic plan for diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, making sure that we listen to what's happening at the workplace. Matter of fact, our committees are built on our training personnel. Uh, our committees are built with union and contracted representatives that are working in the industry every day and they have real live examples of what's happening at the workplace and how do we create that strategic plan. How do we plan our work and work our plan? But we also need to be sustainable. We need to continue to meet with our committees and make sure that we're sustaining a plan that will last over time, not just for one year, not just for two years, but forever and making sure that we are welcoming all of our workers to the workplace respect, dignity, walking in each other's shoes. Andrew, what about you? If, you? if you had to make it plain, what does be for all mean? For me, particularly as a woman in the industry, I look at this and feel like it means inclusion, belonging. And that's really important. I think we need to understand that we need to be included, that every person out on the job site needs to be included and belongs on that job site and in the offices, and we need to look at it that way. It's important to me. It really needs to become our culture. Just like safety is our culture, it needs to become our culture. We need to be fair to each other, respect each other, and belong. And for me as a woman in the industry, it just excites me because I can see that we can make some changes. And I would like, in the next 10 years, our industry to start to look a little different than we do now. And it's really been something that I would love to see. Um, I'd love to see more women. I'd love to see my more minorities, mainly because we just need more people, period. And we have a lot of areas that are untapped right now, and women and minorities are probably some of those areas. So really, right now, it's making everybody feel like they belong. Yeah. So respect, dignity, walking in each other's shoes, inclusion, belonging. Aaron, what you got for us? It's fun to go after these two because they use all of the great words I want to use first, which is perfectly fine because it shows how much we're on the same page on this. And there should be no question that I don't think there's any daylight at all between where the union uh, and SMACNA stands. We're really together on this topic. Fundamentally, I believe this goes back to what you learned in kindergarten or maybe you called it the golden rule or whatever you decided to call it is treat people the way you want to be treated. And I believe it's already happening. Our industry is becoming more diverse. There are more women in the industry. There are more minorities in the industry. And the union and the contractors association and the group of contractors that embraces that trend, that welcomes that trend, that says we want you on our job sites with open arms, will become aware of the things that we may need to do better and really do them better and succeed, will be the group that wins the war of workforce development, that will keep and retain our people. And that is the number one thing when I travel around the country and talk to our contractors that comes up every single time. And in order to get better results, we have to change our behavior. Smart has launched a new video news broadcast, Smart News, focused on the issues that matter to you, your job, and your family. 
Episode 1 is out now and features an update on rail contract negotiations from Transportation Division President Jeremy Ferguson, as well as information on mega projects for sheet metal members, the FRA's proposed two-person crew rule, IAQ in schools, Smart Army Canada, a conversation with General President Joseph Sellers, and more. Text SMART NEWS, two words, to 67336 to watch Episode 1. Message and data rates may apply. So respect, dignity, walking in each other's shoes, inclusion, belonging, the the golden rule, the golden rule. I remember when we first began this work, we surveyed SMACNA and SMART members. And one of the themes that came out of that survey was that there's a sense of, of fear. There's a sense of anxiety. I would even dare say from some people, there's even a sense of anger around this work that we're talking about today. And a lot of that centers around this question, why are we spending time and resources, scarce time and resources on this work? So I know all along we've talked about wanting this to be an honest conversation about the work. And so just wanna wanna get some, some conversation started on that point. What do you, and I wanna direct this question to, to Aaron and Joe, what do, you, what do you say to the SMART or SMACNA member who's asking that question, who feels that way? Why, why are we spending scarce organizational resources on this work? Why don't we start with you, Joe? Sure, so I, I would say that we want the very best, safe, trained workforce. We wanna to continue to make sure that we maintain our high level of uh, training and skills within our industry. We get this question a lot when we organize the unorganized, but all of our members have the ability to go to class, go through an apprenticeship maybe, you go through journey person, professional development, taking the different classes, and making sure that you're always honing your skills, lifelong learning, right? And yes, there is a lot of uh, there is a lot of anxiety that comes with that, but you know, for for the years that I've been here, there they, there's been that. But you get over that. But quite frankly, when it comes to this, and Angie said it, you know, women and people of color underserved in our industry, and it's right. It's right to make sure that we are out there recruiting and retaining people within all communities within both countries, United States and Canada, making sure that we're working as hard in every community rolling up our sleeves and putting sweat equity into making sure that people and citizens, no matter what race they are or religion they are or anything, that, that, that you have a real opportunity at a career. And frankly, there's a lot of work coming up. We have mega projects and we need to make sure that we fill those jobs because if we don't fill those jobs, it's gonna cut long and deep in our industry about not being able to perform on a job. So, you know, we have great infrastructure to bring people in, to train them, to put them with an employer, not only in school, but on the job training as well. And we need to use and implement that to bring people into our union and give them a chance at the American dream and give them a chance at real healthcare and give them a chance at retirement security. And that's what we're gonna do. Yeah. And I just wanna point out, cause I'm, I'm, I'm hearing this, another theme emerge from the conversation. Cause Angie, you mentioned too, you said, bottom line, we need more people. Mm-hmm. So I do wanna come back to that in a moment, but Aaron, what would you say to the SMACNA member who's asking that question? Why are we spending scarce organizational resources and time on this work? First, I would say amen to uh, Joe's comments because I agree with all of them. What our members are concerned about and a lot of contractors are concerned about when they hear the words diversity, equity, inclusion, they're not necessarily even hearing the words B for all, but when they hear D, E, and I, what they hear is force compliance programs 
things coming at them, things they have to deal with on a job site, whether it's hiring goals, which often feel like quotas, or subcontracting goals, which often feel like quotas and things you have to meet and make jobs more difficult. So they're very skeptical and cynical about this. And I don't blame them because from that perspective, you know, they've had to deal with a lot of things, depending on the state you're in, that are difficult to deal with and sometimes very irrational. And that is not what we're talking about. We're talking about all the things that Joe just talked about. We're talking about changing our dynamic. We're talking about finding more workers, finding the right workers, finding the best workers. Uh, they often are worried about, we're going to reduce our standards to meet these goals we're setting. We're never going to reduce our standards. We might end up pushing the envelope and bringing people in because we have to find the people and we have to do more training to get them to the level we want them to be at. But at the end product, we're never going to put out a worker that isn't good enough, that isn't a full journey person. So I think to our members, the right challenge back to them is, why do you think what you're doing today is actually working? If your number one problem is workforce development, and we've been talking about that for five or ten years, then it's time to start doing something differently. And this this is one of those things we're going to do differently. And you know, Aaron, there's much documentation to show that a diverse team can be way more profitable. And that's what we also need to share with our contractors, that a diverse team is going to make you more money in the long run because you're going to work together better. So that's also important too. And Angie, both you and Joe have mentioned several times thus far, you've emphasized this theme that we, we need more people. The industry needs more people. I know that given your leadership roles, you, you get to see the broader picture of industry trends and sort of things that the member doesn't get to see. So say a little bit more about this, this need for more people. Uh, what does that need look like? Where, where is it coming from? Which so infrastructure. Infrastructure is now being implemented. And, you know, I don't necessarily always think of our industry as an infrastructure industry but it is under this infrastructure bill. So electric vehicles are gonna change the automotive industry. By 2031, Ford wants to be out of combustible engines. 2031, not that long, not that far away. But there is the Ford manufacturing plants, battery manufacturing, battery storage is all heavy sheet metal work. In two states, there's $400 million of sheet metal work alone, not mechanical work, not construction work, $400 million of just sheet metal work, 8.6 million pounds of duck going on those projects. And that doesn't even include the paint finishing systems that will probably need another three, 400 sheet metal workers on that project. And then you got chip plants, semiconductors. The president is going to sign a bill that has passed the House and the Senate on Tuesday about U.S. manufacturing, semiconductor chips. We're gonna need hundreds of sheet metal workers in Ohio, maybe up to 400. And then we have New York, and then we have Texas, and then we have other areas where that type of work is going to continue to get traction because we can't leave the automotive industry held up by semiconductor chips. And that's what's been happening. So the 400,000 manufacturing jobs are gonna create jobs for us. And not only do those jobs need the construction of the project and the site, but it also needs ongoing maintenance, which we will be in the middle of. It will also require retooling that we will continue to work on. And the chips keep getting smaller. That means you gotta retool. So those types of jobs are gonna you know, continue to pick up pace. And frankly, every time I turn around, there's another chip plant that's being announced. There's another chip plant and an automotive plant. 
right? I just heard of this week, another one in North Carolina, another one in Georgia, another battery storage, battery manufacturing. So those types of jobs are going to continue to go from this infrastructure as well as the other components that are part of the infrastructure. But these are the things that are going to really directly affect our industries and getting the workforce to be able to travel there, getting the workforce to be able to be trained with the specific skill set that's required is something that we're working on right now so that we can mobilize at the right time. And I also see that we've done a really great job in the industry with providing our trades folks pensions that allow them to retire at 50, 55 years old. And we have a lot of our industry is getting up to that age. And same, contractors the same way. Some contractors are starting to say, I want to step down now. I'm 55, 60 years old. And what's happening is we've lost our shops and schools. Kids don't know about what we do anymore. I mean, it was probably 15 years ago that we stopped having shops in the Bay Area in our schools. And so there's a gap of people who have come into industry because they haven't learned about our industry. The other thing is these next generations want to make a difference in the world. And they're not going to come to a place that is not inclusive for everybody. Our next generation is a very inclusive generation. They don't see you know, race, creed, and color. And we need to make our industry start to look like that for them or they're not going to join us. So I really do see the shortage of people are a couple things. They don't really realize what a great industry it is. I mean, I am in love with our industry, and I, I can share that all over, over and over again. They don't understand it. We need to get out there and share what a great industry it is. But we can't share that if we're not inclusive and we aren't diverse because they're going to look at that and say, oh, you're just all talk. So this is an important initiative to us in that we need to change the dynamic of our industry to encourage the kids, the next generation, the youth, to join us. Yeah, and let's talk about what... Can I, can I just jump back real fast? Because I think this goes to Angie's and Aaron's response about, you know, we may not always understand each other on every issue, but we understand when we got to mobilize 400 people in Southern Ohio we need to understand what's going to happen and when is that going to happen. What's the skill sets that are required? So cooperation and our industry coming together and having that communication at a local level and a national level of what's going to happen in the Midwest, what's going to happen in Ohio, what's going to happen in Texas, and how do we have the trust that they want to share with us what the mobilization schedule is, and we're just going to share it with our people so that we get the right people and not share it with somebody that we shouldn't be. But that comes with trust. It comes with meeting with each other over not just two years, five years, but really for decades of having that labor management cooperation at a level so that we're better planning, that we're better prepared, and that we're better meeting the needs of whatever their project needs. Yeah, we have contractors today who are making investments in new plants and facilities for sheet metal manufacturing where you wouldn't have thought to build a plant uh, five years ago or ten years ago because there's a chip plant or an auto plant coming in that space. And they're building those plants when at the same time we're coming out of a pandemic and the pandemic is in part the great retirement. Our demographic trends weren't great before that in terms of an aging workforce. Pandemic accelerates those retirements, and at the same time, we have a spike in demand for additional workforce. The only way to solve that spike in demand problem is by working together. So, Aaron, you you just talked about working together. Joe, you talked about the, the importance of trust. Angie, you talked about the need for current workers to make our industry more feel more inclusive mm -hmm. for the younger people who were attempting to bring in. I suspect someone is listening to this podcast and they're saying, well, well what, what, does, what does that look like? What does working together, what does building trust, what does 
making the industry more inclusive? What does that look like on a day-to-day basis? And so let, let's, let's talk about specific practices and behaviors. What does this work of belonging and excellence for all look like every day on the job site? Andrew, why don't you kick us off? Well, I think of that and, and say that I want to walk on a job site and I want to feel like I belong and I want to walk in somebody else's shoes and understand what they're going at. And that's where I, I look to other people and say, just get to know each other. Reach out and get to know each other. I want to be able to look, at, go out to a job site and see, as a woman, go out and be able to say that I see posters that have women on them as well as men and just that I feel like I belong. And so I think our calendars should show a sense of belonging for all. I think on the job site, our, I mean, I've been working with the tool manufacturers to encourage them to build tools that adapt to women and vests that adapt to women so that they also know that we belong because oftentimes, very rarely do you find people have smalls for example, a small vest on a job site. And if somebody comes onto a job site and they can't have a small vest, the women are often wearing larger vests. It would be nice to see some of that where we feel like, wow, they actually thought of us too. One of the things. Yeah. So, so get, get to know other people better, walk in their shoes. Joe, you, you just talked a lot about trust and building trust. What does the, the action of building trust, the behavior of building trust, what does that look like? How does a worker do that on a day-to-day basis on a job site? So I, I think that our members need to understand what belonging and excellence for all is. We need to make sure that we're a craft of mentoring, right? You got on-the-job training. You go to classes, yes, for 10% of your time, and the other 90% you're on-the-job training. You're under the mentorship of a journey person, right? We may not call it a mentorship, but that's what it is. Quite frankly, that's how I got my career. I walked into this industry as an entry-level position. Somebody put me in a class. Somebody developed a curriculum for me and my other classmates. And then I went on the job and I had people making sure that I had a well-rounded education, that I knew how to do this and I knew how to do that. So that mentoring means a lot to me because walking in, not knowing, not understanding, but they gave me a career and a career path. And that's what we need to continue to do. We need to share that responsibility of training those that come into our industry to make sure that we're the best, going back to being the best of the best, going back to being the best trained and continuing to go to class to make sure that we're keeping up with technology, keeping up with what's happening out of the workplace today. So that on-the-job training has been our history for a century, and that's how we've trained people, but we need to keep that same path for women, people of color, underrepresented communities, and making sure that our workforce is the best of the best. And we wanna pass that on to another generation. Mm We want to pass that skills and knowledge set on to the next generation and the generation so that people that are in the industry have the same opportunity that I had. Yeah, and part, part of what I'm taking from what you just said, Joe, is, and, and tell me if I'm wrong on this, that it's, it's not just one person's role to do that mentoring and training. Angie, you talked about building a culture. Part of what I'm hearing you say is that we need to build a culture where everybody in the industry is taking on that responsibility for, for mentoring and lifting up other people. That's right. Is that, is that right? Yeah, it takes a village. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It has to be more deliberate. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our construction has been doing apprenticeship for thousands of years. We've done mentoring for just as long. 
And when we look at job sites, those things tend to happen organically. There, there wasn't a meeting in the background which says, you know, hey, why don't you take the new guy under your wing and work with him? That might happen in some cases, but not, not with an intentionality. And we can't rely on the sort of old school, well, we'll get a new apprentice, we'll get a new person in the industry, we'll ride the heck out of them, see if they can hack it. And then once they pass the test or two, we'll then give them to a, have them work with a journey person who can really teach them. I grew up with roofers. That was a brutal experience. I don't recommend it for anybody. I won't use the words around it that described it, but we can do better than that. And I think we do do better than that but we don't do it consistently enough. I think we have great skilled workers who actually want to share those skills. We need to encourage them to do so, and we also need to encourage them to let the new person try different parts of the craft, let them do different aspects of the thing. Don't just give the extra work today to the same three guys you always give it to you because they're their favorites and you go hunting with them. No, include everyone else in that group and expand you know, how we actually run our job sites and run our crews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and hearing you emphasize the importance of consistency, Aaron, it, it sort of brings me back to something you said earlier, Joe, about how B4 really is our strategic plan for this work, and it's the, it's the vehicle for how we sort of sustain this work and make it more intentional over time. Yeah, yeah, and, and I would say the other component that we need to do is I think that my path was defined, not that somebody came and said, you're going to go here, you're going to go there. It was like a roadmap of what I was going to do but I think that I could see my path. And I think that we need to do a better job at our women and people of color to to be able to see that path of possibility that yes, they can be a superintendent or a four-person owner job, or they can be an instructor at a JATC, or maybe a union president, or maybe a business manager, or maybe even a general president. I would have never expected anything that I did as part of my career would lead me to being a general president. But when we continue to create that power of possibility of what we can do and what we can look at and how we can grow and, as Angie said, be better and stronger, it's an awesome possibility, and I'm really looking forward to that. And all of that is true for the office workers, for estimators and project managers and engineers. We need to be able to show that construction... um, regardless of the space that you're in in construction, is a tremendous career path. Because Joe happens to be the president of the International Union today, but he could have taken a different path and been a contractor because he would have had the skill set to do that because he learns as a journey person how to build things. And if you take the next step and learn how to run a company, you can develop that. So your possibilities when you enter the sheet metal workforce are really endless. They can be whatever you want them to be. And if we want to make this exciting for the next generation, we need to show them those possibilities a little bit more clearly than we have in the past. This is Daryl Roberts, Director of Organizing at SMART. In the next few months and years, SMART members will see an enormous amount of work with incoming mega projects everywhere from Texas and Tennessee to New York. If you know anyone interested in the sheet metal or transportation industries, or if you know anyone currently working non-union in our industry, tell them to visit smartcareers.org where they can learn about all the benefits of joining our union. Spread the word. Visit smartcareers.org today for information on higher pay, better benefits, and a secure retirement. up. Uh, I think all three, you know, I have a thing for alliteration and I'm hearing two P's bubble up in this conversation. So one is uh, pathways, the importance of having pathways, and then this other theme around power of possibilities. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to ignore the fact that we have Angie Simon sitting at this table. And Angie, I read an article uh, the other day 
uh, the, the first sentence in the article described you as a woman who knows how to operate in a quote unquote man's world. I don't want to ignore the fact that if I'm correct, I think you were the first woman on a SMACNA board, yeah. uh, the only woman to ever serve a SMACNA president. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. So for women who are listening to this, so for, for anyone who identifies as woman and they're asking the question, you know, what's my pathway to leadership? Talk a little bit about your own pathway and lessons that you've learned. And this is interesting because as we're talking, it hit me a little bit more. I don't think I've ever put this into words, but let me share my pathway and let me tell you why I think I was successful in my pathway. Young engineer uh, at college, mechanical engineer, knew that I was in mechanical engineering and HVAC. I knew I didn't want to work for a consultant. I didn't want to sit at a desk. So I was looking to work for a contractor. I wanted to be able to get out on the job side. I'm very into sports and team. So I started at Western Allied. I realized that I knew a lot about engineering, but I realized that my folks in the field knew way more about this industry than I did. And so my foreman, I would team with my foreman. I'm the project manager, but they knew everything. They'd been hanging duck for years. I could learn so much from them. So I basically, my first five years, I said, please teach me about what you do and about our industry. And my crew was amazing. I mean, they taught me everything. I got them what they needed. I got them answers. I got them equipment. I got them tools, but they made me money on my jobs because they took care of us and, they, and we did a great job. So I grew up in the company. I became a senior project manager and then a partner. And then the next thing I know, I, in 2008, I was made the president of the company. It became very obvious that I was the right person for the become president. I mean, everybody just said, you're the next person that's going to become president. And it felt very natural. But you know, it, what hit me when we were talking is, the reason is because Western Allied was a company that made me feel like I belonged there. I never thought of myself any different than anybody else at Western Allied. I did sometimes feel different at job sites or in meetings where there were people that made me feel different. I mean, I had situations where I'd go into a trailer and I would be told, what are you doing here? But at Western Allied, I was never made to feel that way. My foreman that worked with me, they, they respected me and they were just as excited when I became president as I was. So I think that's the difference. I became president in 2008 when I went in to become national president for SMACNA. I then handed the presidency to my young intern who started with me and who is now my partner and became CEO. So yes, there aren't that many women CEOs of a large mechanical contractor. But I think it's because I never ever saw, I always had a path. I never pictured me in that path, but it just came naturally because I felt like I belonged there and I felt it was a natural thing to do. And so I owe a lot to my company in the fact that they never ever told me I couldn't do anything. And I remember, and my dad, the very first thing my dad told me when I was getting, getting ready to go to college, he said, you know, you can do anything you want to do. And my dad always instilled that in me. But when I got to a company that allowed that and, and encouraged that, and I'll tell you what, I know that the folks in my field were happy that I was our president. They knew I cared about them, and I knew that I also learned a lot. And I also, to this day, will go to a meeting, and I will not tell them how long it's going to take to hang ductwork, because I've never hung ductwork. I say, I need to talk to my foreman, so I respect them with, for what they do. So, I mean, there's opportunities, but I think if we can make people feel like it's an industry that they belong in and that they are included in, we're going to see more people. And part of that is I sat on a panel and a young woman said to me, why didn't you ever see that you wanted to be the president of the company? She goes, I want to be that. I, you know, and I said, well, I never saw a woman as a president of the company, so it never was in my DNA, never thought about it until it just kind of fell into it. But now that young lady is, wants to be the president of the company. So maybe the next generation will do the same thing. And that's what we've got to work on. We've got to work on that everybody's capable of doing what we're doing. We just need to make sure we welcome and trust them. 
So and thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, and I think that was my first time ever hearing your story. And and Joe and Aaron, I want to want to bring you into this conversation because I'm curious. Hearing Angie's story, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? And related to that, I'm mindful that there are women listening to this podcast who are saying, but Angie, you're the only one. Uh, Deshaw just said you were the, the first and only, well, first woman uh, to serve on the board of, of SMACNA. We hear a lot of stories like that about, about firsts and onlys. And people asking the question, well, how do we move beyond just one person? So I think I'll, I'll start on this one. As Angie was speaking, I was reminded of a number of projects I did and things I learned when I was a young project manager. There weren't a lot of women in construction at that time. You know, I'm thinking of the early two, late 90s, early 2000s. But whenever there was a female project manager, that was the person I was going to prefer to work with because if she was there and surviving, she probably had to work twice as hard and was twice as good as any of the men around her, which isn't the dynamic we want necessarily. But at that time, I developed a feeling that women absolutely can do these jobs. There should be a lot more women in construction, and I hope there will be. And I'm really excited about moving beyond the time when we say this is the first female board chair or the first female CEO of whatever firm it is, I think it'll be a really good place to be when we don't have to track that, when it's a normal thing and everyone can see someone who looks like them or identifies as they are in those leadership roles. Because as Angie just said, anyone can do it. So, so we need to focus on recruitment and retention. Some of the things that continue to happen at the workplace are horrific and we cannot tolerate that. We need to be an industry that stands together, labor, management, training, that we're not gonna to tolerate that. We're gonna make sure that we stand up when there's harassment, there's bullying, discrimination. We're gonna take care of that. We're gonna stand up for one and for all, be for all. So those opportunities, we need to continue to press. Like we put a, a women's committee together six years ago and they've moved us in ways that we would have never moved. Angie being in the boardroom moved Western Allied. Women being in the boardroom at the table has moved us. And we've made changes that would have taken us a lot longer if we didn't sit and listen, if we didn't sit and be more inclusive and welcoming and retain people. So these are the things that we're going to continue to do, and we're going to continue to listen. And I think that, as I said earlier about our Be For All committee, we're still going to hear horrific things, but we're going to learn how to deal with them. We're going to learn how to handle them, and we're going to handle them promptly without hesitation labor and management together, making sure that we do that and know that the workplace will understand that we don't have any tolerance with that type of behavior. And I think you're absolutely right, Joe. Someone somewhere is going to do something dumb on a job site. They're going to do something that is completely unacceptable. And we have to have an industry response for that. That is together, coordinated, and has no tolerance for it. There's no way we can have a welcoming job site if we ignore what, ha what has occurred in different times. Thankfully, those things are rare. I hope they become non-existent. You know, one thing I'm, I'm thinking about is, and a number of you have touched on this, just the importance of walking in other people's shoes and the importance of authenticity in this work. And so I want to try something something different because I'm sure somebody's listening to this and they're like, this is a this is a scripted conversation. <laughs> you know, they're working off of talking points, which I know we're not doing. And so I want to mix it up a little bit. If you were to ask the other person a question, 
about something you're thinking about? What are your questions for each other about this work that you're doing? What's a question that Smackna would pose to, to Smart and vice versa, Joe? What's a question that you would pose to, to Angie and Aaron? So one of the things that I learned at our Partners in Progress conference, and you know, Angie, Angie and I were kind of co-chairing that one, and mm -hmm. not quite three years ago, but yeah. coming up on three years ago. And there was a presentation there about it's each one of our responsibility to bring workers into our industry. It's not just labor. It's not just management. It's going to take all of us on pulling that rope together. Now we have this amount of job opportunity. I wouldn't say it's a question because I, I know that the conversations that we've had is, you know, how do we do that together? We all have recruitment and retention plans. How do we merge them together? How do we meet that 400 workers in Southern Ohio? How do we do that together? And how do we do that all over the country? I will say that our offices probably talk every week. You know, the people in our office yeah. talk to Aaron's office, and every week they have a conversation about what's going on and how do we do it. So I don't necessarily have a question because if I have a question, one of you know Donna or Mike will be asking that question Monday or Tuesday or something like that. So, but we're in this together. It's evident we continue to uh, you know work together, and uh, meeting the workforce needs is something that is paramount in my mind right now because failure is not an option because it will cut long and deep and our industry will change if we don't meet the workforce needs yeah. of just a short period of time from now. I agree, because mine, like yours, it's not really a direct question, it's more of a philosophical or discussion question, which is how do we incentivize locals and chapters and contractors to make change? Because we sit up here at the international level, so we have a view of the whole country and Canada, and neither Joe or I are responsible for bringing a single person into an apprenticeship program. We don't have the ability to reach down and say, you should join Chicago's program or Atlanta's or Treasure, whatever it is. So we have to develop structures that encourage people to change their behavior, that encourage the business manager and the JATC coordinator and the SMAC the chapter leader or the management chair of the committee to actually do something differently. Yeah. That's very much a work together problem and set of issues. And I think we're probably both asking each other that on a regular basis because we know we have to do things that are different, but we don't necessarily have the ability to tell someone to do it differently. We just, we have the ability to give them tools and we hope they use them. Yeah. It's a challenge. And I think more of a challenge to each of us, SMACNA and SMART is how do we get boots on the ground? How do we take it from up here where we're at and push it down? And I, you hate to say push, but let it flow down. Boots on the ground is what we need. And there are some areas we may need to push and we may need to do that. We look to contractors and the local areas and the JATCs to be the responsible ones to get this message out. And contractors, we can't look to the union just to be the only ones providing us man and woman power anymore. We all have to work on it. We have to do it ourselves with them as a team because it's, we've got to sell our industry to everybody. So I think that is the biggest challenge is how do we encourage all the local areas to take responsibility that this is the right thing to do. Yeah. Well, and I want to wrap up on that point. And so everybody needs to take responsibility. Aaron, you, you, you talked about the importance of all of us doing things differently. And I heard the emphasis on do. And Joe earlier talked about how mentoring and training just doesn't fall uh, on a handful of people that we all have a responsibility to, to take on that role. And so for people who are listening to this podcast and, and they're, they're wondering, what am I supposed to do as a result of listening to this? Let's emphasize the do piece. Can we just go around and if I was to ask you to, to lift up one thing 
at least one thing that we're asking SMACNA and SMART members to do around Be For All, what would that one thing be for you? For me, I want you to open your hearts and minds and be willing to walk in somebody else's shoes. Be open to it. Change is hard for everyone, and this is change, but be willing to accept it. As we've all said, if you don't change, you're going to go away. And if we don't change our industry, we are, like Joe said, we're going to have a problem in the future. So open your hearts and minds to the idea. So I, I think mine kind of touched on Angie's comments about think of ways that you've developed your own bias and think of ways how you can improve that every day from this day forward. And then think of ways how you can do that at the workplace and share that with workers, share that with your partner, share that with your colleague, share that with your contractor, a peer group or whatever. Let's take and move people towards a respectful, dignity workplace. Everybody deserves that. Thank you, Joe. Tomorrow, when you have coffee and you're at your coffee break, instead of sitting next to the same person you always sit next to, sit next to the person on the crew you don't know. Have coffee with them. Talk to them a little bit. Get to know them. Spend a little time learning something about what they do and what they like, what their kids do, where they live, whatever that might be. And then the next day, do that again with somebody else. And if you're in an office setting, instead of you know having lunch with your friend that you always have lunch with, maybe walk across the hallway and have lunch with someone else. And both of you, whether you're in the office or in the job site, talk to somebody about how neat our industry is and how many opportunities we have. Because unless we get that word out, I mean, the best way to get that word out is individually, one-on-one, -on -one, talking to a friend, a colleague, or a mentor. We'll never really get it out as effectively as we could. And so uh, from Angie, uh, take time to walk in other people's shoes. From Joe, examine your own biases. Uh, take time to do little things that create workplaces of respect, dignity for other people. And from Aaron, you know, next time you grab that cup of coffee, don't do it alone. Sit next to somebody you don't know. Make a connection. Make a connection. And just don't do that once. Do it over and over again. Mm -hmm. Do it over and over again. So friends, uh, you just heard uh, the voices of uh, Angela, AKA Angie Simon, immediate past president of SMACNA, Joseph Sellers Jr., uh, general president of SMART, and Aaron Hilger, CEO of SMACNA. And I wanna thank the three of you for, for having this conversation. And thank you, Nishaw. Right. Thank, thank you, Nishaw. Excellent, thank you, thank you yeah. for everybody's time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, thank you for this and all the work you're doing with us. We, yes, we really, really appreciate work. it. Good work. Thank you for having me.